The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. Welcome into episode 17 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, and I'm coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week, I'm sitting down with my good friend, Chris Carr. Chris is the master craftsman at Bucks County Drums. He designs and builds and makes his own drum shells. He's one of the few custom companies I'm aware of that makes their own shells, especially plywood shells. Uh, many years of experience as a carpenter and a drummer and a builder. I own a bunch of his drums. I bought a few kits and snares over the years. Some of the finest made drums that I've ever played. So this is a, a deep dive. We go super nerd right away. We're talking about everything that makes a drum sound like a drum and all of Chris's philosophies on you know, which species sound certain ways. And uh, we talk about barren edges and you know, ply thicknesses and re-rings and hoops. So if you have any questions about the anatomy of a drum, this is the episode for you. So let's get to it. Chris Carr of Bucks County Drums. What's the last thing you built? The last thing I built was this kit behind me. What is it? Uh, it's a eight ply cherry kit. Whenever I have downtime, uh, I like to try to experiment with new, new ideas. You know, uh, I might have five minutes here or there, so I'm like, I'm gonna start gluing this up, mm. uh, and I do that. So in between builds, um, so this kit is eight ply cherry, no re rings, and it's a what I would call a special edition prime series kit. 8-inch, 10-inch, 12-inch, 15-inch, and a 22-inch. And uh, it was really important for me. I wanted to know, uh, if you recall the six-ply cherry kit you reviewed, um, I guess two years ago now. Yeah. And that had, I think I had V-rings. So I found with a really thin shell, uh, they would perform really well with the V-rings where the head contacts uh, the uh, the drum shell is really really important, and those re rings help help stabilize it with the six ply. And I wanted to see what what an eight ply would do, and to see if that needed re rings, and it doesn't. Hmm. So I did an, uh, a different bearing edge too. I did a double forty five, so that the contact point was on the center of the drum head, a la spawn. Uh, back in the day, before I even started making drums, I had a couple of sets of spawn drums, and I thought that was a really unique approach. From a manufacturing standpoint, it's it's pretty simple. You know, you have one setup and you just go, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's also really easy to flatten out. But I did like the sound of the drums a lot; very easy to tune. I wanted to see what it would do with this kit, and it performs exceptionally well. I'm getting very very nice tuning range. I'm getting uh, really punchy, warm sounds, much different than the six ply. Really? Yeah. Surprisingly, now it is a two. No, it's just a standard G, G2 on here. G1 bottom, G2 top, wide open, a lot of sound. I really like it, much better than I thought I would. I mean, I think the one thing people need to understand about the different species that, that we offer is that, yes, they all sound different. When you get into certain types, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, I apologize, but... Go for it. I've got all these questions already ready, but go yeah, for it. Yeah, but like ash and maple and birch, okay? They're pretty close in hardness. The one thing that sets them apart is the grain and the mm. porosity and the openness. So when you do a recording of it under microphones and, and, and whatnot, they're they're pretty... It's sometimes very hard to discern, you know, the uh-huh. difference. The extremes you get are with cherry and walnut and mahogany. 
you've got the softer woods and you've got the much harder woods. Jatoba and Pubinga are much, much harder. So now you've got much different overtones and high-end overtones with the harder woods and the low-end overtones and, and whatnot with the sweet woods. So the tuning range is going to be different. And I think that's the biggest thing I would like to say to people is that when you're looking for a different species of wood, get one. If you're looking for versatility, try to choose the one that has the broadest spectrum of tuning ability. What would be your number one choice? Mm. Uh, see, that's where I have a really hard time. <laughs> I have top three right now, and, okay. and it's gonna—it's probably gonna freak you out. They're all tie. I went, I'm building myself a kit this year. I have not had my own drum kit. I play. I always just play the floor model. I'm very lucky that way. Mm. But it would either be yellow birch, ash, or oak. Yellow birch, ash, or oak. Okay. What yeah. is yellow birch? Yellow birch is much harder than the standard birch you get in in uh, your typical drum set. Uh, like, uh, without naming any brands, it's it's much harder. Mm -hmm. The white birch you would find in, say, a Keller birch shell is in the 900 range, which is the same as cherry and the same as um, uh, genuine mahogany. Mm -hmm. Now, yellow birch is about, I think it's 1320. And uh, if I don't know if you recall the the Janka scale measures wood hardness. Mm -hmm. And as a barometer, uh, maple is 1450. It's not the hardest in the domestic species, but it's it's up there. Okay, I think the hardest domestic species is hickory, which okay. is pretty hard. And uh, this is a scale we use to measure wood hardness, poplar being way down the, the, the lower end, but as we all know, poplar kind of gives a great sound. Mm -hmm. it, it works, especially in snare drums and, and bass drums and whatnot. And you can mix it with maple really well, which is something else we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know, it, the yellow birch is 1320, ash is in the same range. I'm sorry, yellow birch is 1260, ash is 1320, and oak is in the 1200 range. So they're all pretty close, right? The difference being, again, in the, in the grain. You know, birch is very close grain. Uh, it's very nice to finish. You can get a gloss on it really well. You don't have to use any grain filler. Mm. Ash ash is a blend. It has sections that are smooth, but then the grain is real wide and open. Oak is just pretty generally pretty porous. Uh, it's also not as pretty. You know, it, it's kind of pink when you put color on it. It gets honey-colored, pinkish when you put whites on it. And so you have to be careful what colors you put on it if you put anything on it. Um, we've been using that in the new Relic series. I use the same shells. Uh, from the Prime series in the Relic series. So those three woods are, are my number one. The oak being a little bit punchier, a little bit drier. The ash kind of takes on the presence of maple a little bit, but a little bit more attack. Mm -hmm. And the birch has just, just got some thunder. It's just got some meat to it. Um, pretty versatile, but I, I personally, I just really like it. Is, are those differences strictly because of the porosity, the grain? Pretty much, you know, I mean, it's they're different woods completely, the composition, you know, but yeah, a lot of it's the wood and the hardness, you know, I mean, and, and the thing is, is that people don't understand, like, I can take, you know, every tree is different, mm -hmm. just like every drummer is different, I can take, you can get behind the kit, and you'll make it sound one way, and I'll get behind the kit, I'll make it sound bad, but another way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, but seriously, you know, that's, you know, and each each tree will vary. Like white oak and red oak are very, very closely related, but generally speaking, white oak is harder than red oak. Hmm. And a lot of people don't know that. So it does it does affect the sound. And then of course the most important part being the contact point to the drum head, that bearing edge. You know, how much shell are you contacting? 
where is it contacting the shell? Is it in the inside, the outside, the middle? How thick is that contact point? You know, there are a lot of variables. Do you have a 45 relief on the outside? Do you have no relief? Is it straight up and down? Do you have a roundover relief on the outside? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I love I love all three. They all offer different sonic, pleasing sonic properties. Do you have a species that you just don't personally like? Mm. No, I like them all. You know, like I wasn't like I like the cherry a lot because it's beautiful to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, it had a narrow tuning range, and that was why I wanted to try the Zay ply. Now I'm in love with it. Mm. So it, it's kind of again once you take that little next step to you know try something different uh, because without the rear rings it stays open and full. It's got a lot of smack and attack, but it's super warm and super mm. punchy you know it's it's a great record if if anybody was looking for a studio kit right now i'd offer them cherry in the eight ply or maybe ash in the six ply cool yeah. has there ever been um a customer who wants something that you know is wrong and you tell them maybe that's the wrong choice for you i try <laughs> you know when it comes right down to it the customer's right these people yeah. get a mindset they really want something and they got to have it um, if it's beyond my ability, which it might be a finish option or something crazy, it rarely happens. But if it does, I'm like, I just don't do that. Mm -hmm. I had a customer come to me and said, I, I want you to build me a kit that sounds exactly like this brand kit. I'm like, well, then go buy that brand kit. <laughs> well, I really want your brand. Well, if you buy my brand, then you're going to get my sound. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's, I'm not trying to be offensive. It's just a, if you want that sound, then go buy that sound. Yeah. Um, and you know as well as I do with proper tuning and drum heads and whatnot, you can probably you can get drums to sound the way you want to get them to sound. Yeah, it it, it comes down to the flexibility and and the tuning range. Yeah, I think guys are looking for players, guys and girls are looking for versatility. They're looking for drums that will do an upper register when they want it, a mid and a lower. Some will only do high and low. Some will only do mid. Mm -hmm. So you have to be selective, and that's where I can help them out. And that's what the new website's going to do, too. We're going to be having sound samples of each and every species on there. Mm. Um, like walnut. How do you like your new walnut kit? Well, that's, see, that's a perfect example. Walnut and mahogany, I think, are two species that everyone thinks they want. But when you really start using them, they're quite specialized. They're, they're quite... Exactly. They have their thing that that you can they only do their thing <laughs> like walnut exactly. walnut to me is very dark but contemporary yep and mahogany is just very woolly and you yep. can never get it to be sounding modern it just won't yep and, and so, it depends yeah. on the mahogany too you know the, the african mahogany which is more abundant is harder than is genuine mahogany if i had my my choice i would work with genuine mahogany all the time mm. but it, you, i can't get it in plies i have to make it myself and uh that's a whole other process mm. right now i'm buying the veneers and making the shell out of the, the veneers which is uh a little bit more straightforward but you're right so i find mahogany to be pretty it likes low and warm and it's it's got that vibe and and, mm -hmm. and walnut you can tune that high you can get a nice jazz sound out of it and you can kind of tune it low they like the thunder they like the big drums mm -hmm. the bass drums and floor toms especially walnut and mahogany they really like that but when you start getting into mahogany and the smaller drums sometimes you get a pitch bend maybe you don't want a pitch bend mm -hmm. 
And and my maple drums, I'm getting so much sound out of my maple drums. It's unbelievable. The six ply, I'm I'm thinking I'm gonna have to kick them up the eight ply like I did the cherry. Uh, they're just so warm and so big. It's like wow, you know, it's almost too much sound. Yeah, there's a reason why it's popular, right? Yeah, it works. You know, but you you look at the most popular species: your maples, your your birches, and your your oaks and your ashes. They're all in the middle. What I would call the middle hardness range, and mm -hmm. that's what we're all used to. That's what we grew up with. Well, my first question you already answered, but I'm going to ask it again anyway. Sure. What is the most important component of a drum? Ooh. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, w I would really have to say, you know, mm, the shell's got to be good. Mm -hmm. Because if the shell is good, then even if the bearing edge is kind of crappy, you can make it sound good. And what, is, what do you mean by good? It has to be. It has to be solid. It has to be resonant. It has to. It has to produce a sound on its own. Oh. A lot of shells out there don't do that. So, like, if you hold it up and I, I do this thing, I'm gonna reach over here. I'm gonna grab this shell. This is going to uh, a young lady down in Texas. But this this shell has a tone. It's it's resonating, and I'm getting that to vibrate, and so. That means when you hit this drum, that shell is going to participate in the sound. Okay, if the if the if you hit a shell and it's you're getting that, then the drum heads are doing a lot of the work. Mm. So so if you take a shell that had its resonance and is participating in the sound, and the the contact point or the bearing edge is so so, then uh, you you could do things to make that work. You can put some moon gel on it. You can tweak it. You can. I mean, we're never getting perfectly tensioned all the time anyway. We try, we do our best, we come as close as possible. But I think to me, and right behind it, a close second, of course, is the bearing edge, the contact point. That's where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. that's, that's attraction. That's where you're digging in once you seat that drum head, you know. So, and, and some people, I could answer that question in, both, in two ways. I could have said, why the bearing edge is the most important component. Mm -hmm. uh, the shell could be so-so. It can be okay, and as long as that bearing edge is perfect, then it's really a tie for me. It's those are the two most critical parts: a good bearing edge coupled with a good shell. Sweet. Is it worth trying to fix a cracked shell, or does that kind of ruin the integrity of it? Yeah, I wouldn't bother. Okay. If they're plies that are separated, you don't know how deep those plies go. No, you know I've tried. It depends on the value of the drum. Mm. If, if it, the drum has no value, then get a new shell. If it's got value, send it out to an expert. I'm not that guy. It's a completely different process. I, I know drummer stores, that's all they do. Mm. Um, it's very tedious. Uh, Joey Boom, Joe Meckler, who runs the Delaware Drum Show, he's, he's exceptional at that. Um, there are other people out there that do the same thing. Um, yeah, but I don't think so. So that would lead me to think that acrylic and fiberglass and maybe even steel those shells are kind of not contributing in any way to the sound would you agree what do you mean well they're not resonating i mean a plastic well no shell. no that's that's not true that's not true a lot of those do resonate hmm. you know i can take a steel shell and i can hold it up and tap it and they resonate uh fiberglass too they just resonate at different frequencies at different rates mm -hmm. just like different wood species do some some do some don't um it's it again it depends on what sound you're looking for uh -huh. you know I, i'm always going for the most sound because you can always take a drum and you bring it from up here down here but you can't take a drum that isn't willing to produce up here and get it there without some kind of eq without 
adding some electronics to it mm. you know if that makes sense yeah for sure yeah i mean even hoops i mean take hoops um which is something we've you know you could take a, a, a standard 2.3 stamp tube and i can hold that up and i can tap it and that will resonate and it will sing mm-hmm. so that means that hoop is going to move with the shell it's going to be more open sounding you can take a die cast tube which does the complete opposite is dead and when do we use die cast tubes usually we want to tone the drum down a little bit mm-hmm. um especially on snare drums so no all your steel all your chrome over steel all your chrome over brass shells they resonate you know? okay yeah. so what about even with like bass drums and toms oh uh, yeah absolutely yeah same same idea with uh you know bass drum mount the whole idea of keeping a bass drum virgin when you put the mount on there now I, i'm really happy to say that our bass drums don't suffer from that mm-hmm. as much as i thought they would so when a customer absolutely has to have a bass drum mount uh, they still really sound great but you will get again the maximum sound by not compressing that shell and wood hoops I, and a perfect example of this was when i was a kid my first real good drum set was a tama imperial star i got that when i was uh 16. Mm. And uh, it was a concert tom set. They were really all the rage then. And it was a beautiful mahogany bass drum, 16 by 22, but it had metal hoops on it. Mm, right. Okay. And so I just never, with a bass drum mount and those metal hoops, I never got the sound out of that drum that I thought I, I knew I could get. And then somebody said, hey, try some wooden hoops on that bass drum. And I was like, oh my goodness. You know what? <laughs> you know, it was like I just found a new bass drum and it completely changed the sound of that bass drum. And I think that's something that, you know, mm. you and I have talked about, you've talked about with other people, how, how important the hoop selection with the yeah, shell. Yeah, but bass drum hoops, nobody talks about that. That's probably why all those entry-level kits just sound dead on the low Oh, end. absolutely. Yeah. Metal, metal is easy, you know, finishing them. You know, when I first built my, built my first drum set, I bought metal hoops just to try them out because I didn't know much about making wooden hoops. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, let's see what happens with this. And they sounded okay. Hmm. You know, but then as soon as I put wood hoops on, it was night and day. It's you, you again. What you do is you increase that tuning range, the frequency response of the drum. And those mics are only going to pick up if you're using it under a mic situation. Human ears, my ears are shot, so I rely on the microphones to do it for me. So you know that mic is going to pick up what that drum's going to do. That makes me want to get find my old export bass drum and see what it sounds like without those heavy metal hoops on it. Those shells are great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, that, that if you're looking for a cheap gigging kit, if, you know, whatever, you know, keep Keith up at Pocket Percussion. He has a lot of those drums and, and he's been doing really well with the use kits. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll do some work for him once in a while. He'll bring me something to recut or finish or whatever. And, uh, you know, it it's a great spot a great way to test out that theory get a cheap bass drum throw some wooden hoops on it see what it does wild all right so let's shift into shell types because i know you've gone when i first met you you were messing around with block shells and then you were doing a hybrid which you called semi-solid so i had a solid core and and plywood inner and outer i believe and now you're making your own ply shells so let's talk about the three types and why you've now gone to making your own plywood shells well i uh any any block shells i did i was they were experimental i never did them Mm -hmm. for an extended period of time i did a few snare drums like that but that was Mm -hmm. all a uh precursor to doing the Mm semi-solid uh it was really important to me 
with all the drum companies out there to be able to make my own shells. And I thought, well, how can I do this? I'm a woodworker. I'm a cabinet maker by trade for 30-some years. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, if I could take, it seemed logical, if I could take a solid wood drum, solid wood drums on their own are somewhat um, susceptible to changes in environment. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they really excel in studios. They sound great. They have an you know unbelievable sound. And then, of course, there's different kinds. You've got steam bent, and then you've got stab. You've got segment. You've got all these different variations now, and uh, some much stronger than others. Some much, some much more stable than others. But all in all, they're much more cha- uh, susceptible to changes. So if you've got a gigging kit, you know, gig where you're gigging all the time and you're playing outside, you're playing inside on arenas, a solid wood drum isn't always going to do what you need it to do. And besides that, if I if I'm gonna have a solid wood drum, I wouldn't risk any damage to that, you know, in 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 a kicking situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, well, if I could stabilize a, a solid wood drum, how would I do that? So I thought, well, if I was to insert it inside of a ply drum, then what would that give me? Mm-hmm. And I spent a couple of years working on that combination, decreasing the, the section of the ply shell to the thinnest possible, and increasing, and actually decreasing the inner shell. And I can't, I found that a 50-50 combo worked best. So 50% solid wood, 50% ply, and mm-hmm. then I would insert a re-ring. And when I cut the bearing edge, I would round over the outside and cut the inside. So the drum head only sat on the solid wood portion. Mm-hmm. So what you were hearing was primarily the solid wood. A uh, perfect example is your uh, your bop kit and your uh, your mahogany kit. Mm-hmm. You know uh, they that mahogany kit sounds like a mahogany kit, mm-hmm. uh, but what you've got is a much more woody sound. It's a much more compressed sound and a much more mic friendly sound. You can play those things wide open without any any. They're very easy to tune, uh, and they really really sound great. It's a thicker sound uh, that carries into the audience uh, very very well. Mm-hmm. However. The drawback to the design is it's very time-consuming to make. Mm-hmm. It's expensive and time-consuming. Uh, when I moved into this shop here, uh, it's it's been serving me very well, but it's I'm, I'm quickly outgrowing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what I found was that in order to be competitive, my pricing, which I'm always trying to work with people on, I, I have standard pricing, but I try to be competitive too. So it was just taking me an enormous amount of time. It's taking me, say, like ten days to make a set of shells. It's too long. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I have to worry about the finishing process and, and whatnot. So while they sound great, while they function very well from a business standpoint, they, I needed something else. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I need to make a ply shell that can perform as well as this semi-solid. Mm-hmm. Something I can turn around faster, still has excellent quality, is made very well, but is going to give me that sound. And so I spent about three years working on that. I designed and built my own molds. Uh, and this mold design, it's exceeded all my expectations. The the sound that I'm getting out front is very, very close to that semi-solid. It's a very woody, very full sound. And I say out front because that's the most important part. Mm-hmm. That's the audience's perspective. That's what they're hearing. You know, that's what's going along with the music. And so behind the kit, I want it to sound great too. And we all know if it sounds good out front, it's probably going to sound pretty good out back too. Mm-hmm. So... This is a concept I can turn around and set of shells in 24 hours, as opposed to 10 days. Right. So, and much more accurately. Now, the beautiful thing is, is I will be working on the semi-solids in the future again. Uh, when I have a little bit more space, I'm going to be building another set of molds, hopefully two sets of molds. And with these new molds, I'll be able to increase the production of the semi-solids. So I will be able to incorporate them instead of maybe five days instead of 10 days. Mm-hmm. So I'll still be able to do them 
I still want to do them, but for right now, I'm getting, I feel, 98%, 99% of the same sound that I am um, with these new ply shells. And the other thing is that these new ply shells are a lot lighter. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. Yeah, yeah, the Summit Solids are pretty pretty beefy shells. Yeah, you've got a ply shell and a solid wood component laminated to it, then you got the finish, and you got a heavy drum. Mm -hmm. So... So how... They definitely sound different. So what is it that makes your plywood shells different than a Keller shell off the rack? Uh, I think they have a woodier sound. They're more open. They have a woodier sound. It's it's a cold press process mm. instead of a heated process. I think when you heat treat or add heat, you're adding moisture or drying it, something out, or uh, you know you're changing the the overall uh, composition of the shell to some degree. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to give you a different sound. Uh, all my tests have been that I feel like the sounds that my shells are producing are just I think more desirable. You know, it, again, it, it's, I was trying to achieve that semi-solid sound. How can I get a woody sound, something that sounds more pleasing to the ears, you know, both to the audience and on our microphones? Because you know as well as I do, his microphones don't lie. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, they are little microscopes, you know, sonic microscopes. And so, it, you know, they're going to tell you what that drum is doing. And if you've done a good job tuning it, it's going to let you know immediately. Mm -hmm. So... So your prime series focuses on one species and maximizing the the tone, the natural tone of, of that species. Correct. Um, what would be on the flip side the optimal blends of species, in your opinion? Uh, uh, that's something I just started messing with this year, mm -hmm. and uh, we all know those standards. Uh, but I started messing with maple mahogany, mm -hmm. and I started messing with maple poplar. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're pretty standard, uh, but the combination where you place those blends is important. Uh, really? How so? Well, you know, having uh, like an inner of mahogany with an outer of maple is going to give you more of mahogany sound, and then mm -hmm. vice versa. Makes sense, right? Yep. The inter we all know the internal chamber of the drum is what creates the sound. So... Uh, but recently I've done a couple snare drums in 10 ply format where we got two plies of maple, six plies of mahogany, and two plies of maple. And they have a really interesting vintage vibe to them. Hmm. Uh, they have a, a really woody sound. Um, almost flat, but in a good way because they mm -hmm. have a smack, like a compressed sound. Uh, I've tried them with different hoop combinations and I really like them. So that's something that I'm going to experiment more with uh, in, in kits as well. Hmm. Um, I've done some ash and birch bass drums, uh, which are exceptionally punchy bass drum. Hmm. Uh, these are nice blends. But you, if you realize the ash and the birch are similar in hardness, where they have different grain setups, mm -hmm. you know, different, you know, uh, close and open grain, they worked well together. So people need to realize when they come to me with a strange request, which sometimes it happens, I want to combine, combine this, I want to combine that. Uh, I did a kit also that was maple six ply with two plies of walnut inside. Hmm. And that gave a very cool sound. We did a full contact round over edge and it was somewhat very open, but a little bit vintage, had a lot of sound, but very, hmm. very, very pleasing. Orcs Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. 
From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Are there blends to avoid? Like, would you not do an oak and a mahogany or something like that? You know, uh, I just made some like that for, for yeah. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, I'm sorry, it was oak and cherry. See, what's really funny is that cherry, uh, on the scale, is 950. It's a really wonderful wood to work with, uh, really stable. Uh, but it's also the same hardness as genuine mahogany. And if mm. you were to put those under a microphone, they they do sound pretty close in the sweets the sweetness of them, but the bright the, the cherry is going to be brighter. Hmm. So that has to do with a lot of that close that close grain. Um, you know, it, it's not that they wouldn't work. It's again, you're going to have to experiment with where you place them and what ratios. Like I would probably, if I was going to build oak and mahogany, and a six ply, let's say I would do two plies of oak, two plies of mahogany, two plies of oak, and then put a reinforcement ring. If I did eight ply, I would do four ply in the middle, uh, just because that's that warmth is going to come from the middle of the shell and give me that that sweetness, mm-hmm. and then the oak is going to brighten it up a little bit. Some a lot of what I do is just on a hunch. Uh, <laughs> You know, it, you just get a gut feeling about things. You know, I've been doing this for so long. You just kind of get a hankering. You're like, you know, I think that would work pretty well. You know, yeah. and I can't explain to anybody why or how. It's just it's just like when a, a drummer lays down this thing. You know, look at Gad. I mean, he comes up with something, whatever it is, and there it is. And you're like, wow. You know, yeah. and, and, and it's not always wow. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but most of the time it is. You know, like this cherry kit's a perfect example. Like I knew right away what kind of bearing edges I wanted to put on it, and I and I had a really strong feeling it would work, and it gave me exactly what I wanted. Hmm. So, how does a uh, shell depth come into the play of the sound? Uh, it's important. You know how how quickly those heads react to each other is really important, especially in bass drums. I, I've found lately that I'm really digging my twelve by nine toms hmm. over a twelve by eight. I like a twelve by eight. I just say, get a little something extra out of a 12 by 9. It's just my year, though, uh, and the feel of the drum. What about uh, floor toms? Do you avoid square sizes? If I can. I feel like even one inch off will make an enormous difference in the tuning of that drum. I do, all our floor toms are like 15 by 16, 13 by 14. Mm. It's just, you don't need a square drum. Uh, in fact, I like a 14 by 16. The closer those are together, again, they're going to react with each other much faster. So that means those heads can be a little bit looser if you're looking for a fatter or deeper sound. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. What's your favorite bass drum depth? Uh, I like a 14 by 24. Mm. Uh, and in a 20, we that I do all the sizes in the Prime series and all the series is is picked for a reason. 16 by 20, uh, 15 by 22, 14 by 24. Oh, interesting. So you scale the depth back as the diameter increases. Yeah. I'm a little OCD that way. I think it's, I just think it's cool, you know, <laughs> but it works. You know, there's no, when I first started making drums, it was this really cool thing to have like this 20 inch deep bass drum. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and they felt pretty cool. But when I was on stage and I'm playing, I couldn't hear myself. All the sound was going out this ginormous tube at the mm-hmm. end. I'm beating the <laughs> snot out of the drum to hear myself, right? And so, uh, and I was actually tuning the heads tighter to get them to react to each other because mm-hmm. they were further away from each other. So I wasn't necessarily getting a deeper sound. 
Mm-hmm. And so we saw the um, uh, the the subwoofers come in where we were in these woofers attached to the end of these long bass drums to pick up those the low end. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's 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 kind of cool, and and for I think for studio use, those those woofers are great. But you really don't need a giant, long, deep bass drum anymore. If it's a feel thing, you can achieve that by putting more pillows on the bass drum, mm. you know, kind of deadening that head a little bit. But uh, a 14 by 24, uh, our 14 by 24s, I put up against anything. They, they sound like a house. Your, your mahogany kit's 14 by 24. Yeah, it's a great sound. It's classic. Yeah. It's classic. And it, feel, it feels good. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's another thing that's important. All right, let's talk about bearing edges. Okay. Uh, how does the the angle or the roundness affect the sound? Well, the more shell contact you have when you round over, I have two roundovers. Uh, on the Prime series, I do a very slight roundover, and it's a it's a three quarter inch to one inch curvature uh, radius curvature, and I feel that that's really important because then the drum head fits more, much more naturally. Mm-hmm. Not so much Remo because Remo has a very angled, but other companies fits much more naturally. You get less slop and less play, so that that avoids any gaps out there between that, and it also creates more shell contact, and it also pushes the contact point of the bandage over to the more flat part of the head, which is mm-hmm. really kind of easier to tune. Uh, so the more shell contact, the more roundover. The, the, the more wood, more shell you're getting involved in, in the sound, but you're also going to decrease the, the resonance or the sustain a little bit, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want it to go on forever. Um, so I also have another edge, like on your walnut kit, it's a very tight radius. It's a quarter inch. Mm-hmm. And I was going for maximum shell contact with that. Mm-hmm. So it was a very tight radius, went over to three quarters of the ply, and then cut back 45. Uh, the reason we start doing the it, the, the 45 or the 33 cutback is that when those drums are tuned loose, they would literally flop down and hit the inside of the bearing edge and create a buzz. Oh. Like, yeah, okay. so that's why we got away from that. You had to tune the drums tighter than you really wanted to in order to get them to stop doing that buzz or that slapback. So that's why we started doing the 45 years ago. At least that's my take on it. I, that's why I do it. I, now, I do do a full roundover of baseball bat, full contact. Um, Kevin Safera's Oak kit has that. That was something he requested specifically. And that kit sounds amazing. It's very rich. You have a, a ton of shell contact with just the right amount of sustain. So, so what, which ones buzz if they're too if they're rounded on the inside that'll buzz. Yeah, I mean not always. It just depends on the tuning. <coughs> tuning, <coughs> but you don't. You definitely don't want to. When that head is tuned loose, you don't. You can see it in your mind's eye. If you've got this contact point, is the the potential for the head to come down and hit the inside of that edge is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also a very dead sound. It's a much deader sound than you would get when you do a relief cut on the inside. You're going to get a much more lively sound. You know, some people do a very thin contact point, and you'll do that on certain species. Uh, hard, the harder the wood, the less contact. Mm. Like if I was to take a, a Jatoba drum, being Brazilian cherry, which is one of our, our cool exotics we go to, um, it's actually much harder than Vibinga, but it gives a similar tone. Sounds amazing. Ba- big, big bass drum, very warm, big sound. If I do a lot of shell contact, that's going to choke that drum out. Mm-hmm. So that's a species I'm going to do a much thinner contact point to. All right, let's talk about re-rings. Uh, why, why use them and what do they do to the sound? Well, they stabilize the drum. Uh, it, you know, in toms and bass drums, they stabilize the, the, the sound. 
they make them easier to tune. Uh, again, perfect examples are six ply. I originally started doing six ply without re rings, um, but the drums were resonating so much with the contact of the head, they were vibrating and it made them difficult to tune. Mm. So by adding that re-ring, it just it cuts down the vibration at the contact point and then stabilizes that drum. It also brings the tuning range up a little bit. Mm. Same same idea in snare drums. You know, in snare drums, you can get a lot more pop and, uh, and you stabilize the drum. And the softer woods need that. Not all, but some. Is there ever a time when you would just put a re-ring on top or something like that? I've done that. You know, a special request. Um, do anything significant? Nah, not really. <laughs> you know, it, it changes the feel up top. It's more okay. of a feel thing. Um, and it allows the bottom to open up a little bit. Uh, I did that for an artist recently, uh, Richie DiCarlo. He saw Peter Erskine's drum and, uh, you know, the, the snare drum that he had made. He said, hey, can we do that? And we tried it with a maple and ash combo. And it, and it sounded really neat. It mm. gave it a little bit more. It was a, a blend, you know, a little bit more open. Uh, it might give you a little bit more sensitivity on the snare, you know, on the bottom. But for the most part, it's it. They they affect the feel a lot more than you think. Mm -hmm. I mean, this this is all my take. Yeah, well, that's there are no there are no rules. Everybody's got their own take, and everybody's gonna there's gonna be people out there that disagree with me 100, percent and that's fine. Um, but you know, I think a re-ring on top and the bottom of the snare, you really the human ear is not gonna hear it. Yeah, that's what I would think. Let's talk about hardware. Uh, Sure. Not hoop, not hoops yet, but like lugs and and placement of lugs. How much does that weigh into the overall sound? Well, it's important. But first of all, I want to congratulate you on your new, on your new gig, and oh, and, and I'm really happy for you because it's a great company. And and the one thing I wanted to say is that uh, the the offering that they have is tremendous. I, we don't manufacture all the metal components here. Nobody does. Uh, and I think most people know that it's just not possible and it's way mm. too expensive to manufacture everything some people do but the selection they have and uh, even even over the past year and a half you know things have been difficult for everybody and uh, the stock is always excellent uh, and the shipping is fast and the cus customer service is awesome I mean these are really as a business owners these are really crucial things are very very important to keep things moving along mm. um, so yeah and and we are standardizing a lot of things we have standard options uh and, and that's why i've created these new product lines you know we got the the prime the relic and the regal which we can talk about if you want later but mm. to answer your question i think yeah the the lugs are very important you know the quality of the lug is really really critical first it has to function and the placement uh single point lugs as we know it's a minimal contact uh it, it gives a more open sound you're going to maximize mm. the resonance of that trump uh, when you have long tube lugs, you're connecting the drum. It's still single point, but now you're connecting the drum with a rod from top to bottom. So if, if that's not installed properly, or there's tension on it, you can actually choke the shell. Mm. Um, it's like rims mounts. Rims mounts really work really well to suspension mount. But if you have that pinching the tension rods a little bit, you know, you're going to choke the drum. Mm. Sometimes they work against you. So yeah, it's, it's anything quality, you know, uh, it, it, it has to move with the drum. It has to let the shell do its job. It's like a properly wrapped drum. We mm -hmm. glue all our wraps on. That's really, really important. And then we compress it. So when you take that, that shell out of the, the wrap uh, roller and you hit it, it still resonates. It goes back to the premise I talked about earlier. Some people wrap a drum, but they don't compress that glue. One, it's not bonding to the shell. And two, it's now it's blanketing the shell and it's deadening yeah. the sound. Especially if you have a glass glitter and... and 
I don't know if people are aware of this, but glass glitter is actually the thickest, heaviest wrap there is. And if it's not installed properly, it will kill the sound. I had someone ask me recently what they should do for finish. I was like, are you going to take it out of your house? Like, if you are, just get a wrap because it's, yeah. it's going to, you're not going to worry about it and it's still going to sound great. Yeah. I think, that, I think people get scared of wraps, but if it's, like you said, if they're put on properly, the drum still sings. There's no, no, no I, in fact, I've, I've made a few ash kits that I wrapped and they sounded phenomenal. Uh, it took a little bit of that top end off. And that's about the only sonic difference you, you'll hear is you will lose a little top end. Mm-hmm. If it's installed properly, you're going to get all the same sound. Boom, big, you know, bada boom. So what about like die cast lugs versus tube lugs? You use both, so what you know, What would you Yeah, use? not a huge sound difference. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing is if it's a die cast lug with a, uh, a spring in it, you just got to make sure that that's insulated properly, doesn't rattle, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I, I'm not really finding a huge difference in sound. So, okay, now let's go into hoops. Because I, sure. I know we've talked a lot about hoops over the years. Sure. Um, just go from no flange up to single flange, triple flange, die cast. When do you decide what to pick? Well, you know, I standardize everything. Everything's standard 2.3. And the mm-hmm. reason being is it works. Yeah. They, they resonate with the shell. They're strong. They look great. They work. And the only time I make any differences if I'm like our, our Relic series comes with a single flange we're going for a vintage vibe here we want mm. these drums look old they function like an older drum however everything on the drum is new mm. and uh you know the 2.3 like your uh i think your mahogany kit originally had single flange hoops on it yes if you recall yeah and that thing was like a house man it had so much sound it so was, much sound <laughs> you know and i love that if i'm out gigging and i'm not mic'd up that's what i want man yeah you know i want you're gonna hear me you know whether you yeah. want to or not you know so and that's that's kind of it so that's the maximum sound and then i think we ended up putting 3.0s on and that yeah. took the shell that the sound down here it yeah. narrowed the tuning range but then now it's more controllable sound especially yeah. under the mics yeah and so at, at 2.3 with single flange clips it gives a look they're all brass by the way 99 percent of the with they're off they're made really well the brass mm-hmm. so with our relic series when we when we treat these they end up being this beautiful brass patina and the clips and then the lugs and you've got this really cool vibe going on uh, up from that now uh, the same look but a different sound completely is the no flange mm-hmm. they're, they're steel and they're two they're 4.5 so they're much thicker and i would have to say they're right in between like a 2.3 and a die cast mm-hmm. they still really let the drum open up a lot because you got the whole clip assembly and you got a more open sound but it's more focused um and and it's not as severe as a uh, a 3.0 mm-hmm. It's like your your walnut kit is another example because I think those drums they really sing, they have a lot of sound, but it's a very controlled sound. Uh, and then we got diecast, and I generally don't use diecast much. We will be offering diecast on our Regal series as, as uh, the standard hoop option. So uh, this the, the Regal series is going to be the creme de la creme. It's going to be the real high end mm-hmm. eight ply shell configuration, and it's going to be exotic veneers with diecast hoops. Yeah, I don't use um, die casts on anything but a few snare drums. I feel like they work on snare drums, but yeah. toms, I haven't really found a spot for them in my my palette. Yeah, it's it's a definitely an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, these kits are, are meant to be expensive, and everything on all the options are going to be expensive options. And I think uh, the 8-ply coupled with a double 45, I think they're going to sound great. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I should I should mention you talked about brass hoops. You're not talking about brass plated steel. You're talking about solid brass. Yeah, exactly. Chromed or or clear yep. coated. There's a huge difference. I had that discussion recently. Someone bought brass plated hoops. <laughs> they yeah, no, a major difference in the sound. <laughs> yeah. I mean, steel is steel. Yeah, it's a different sound. Brass sounds amazing. You know, that's yeah. that's the combination. The there are two point maybe they're two point five. They're either two point five or two point three. There's there are two versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the brass single flange, that's just a really beautiful sound. You know, uh, if you've got a, a drum that's suffering from uh, not enough sound, those are the kind of hoops you can put on there where open it up and give it more sound. Yeah, I don't think everyone knows, but the old Slingerland stick savers are brass. They're, they're chrome over brass. Yeah. Most of them are, at least. Yeah. Well, and it's just like snare drums. Everybody thinks you have a chrome snare drum that's going to sound wonderful. Well, is it chrome over steel or is it <laughs> yeah. chrome over brass? Yeah. You know, there's a difference. Or aluminum. Yeah, it could be anything. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk about drum heads. Okay. How do you decide on what heads to put on a kit that you just built? Well, I, you know, you got to have a starting point. And I pretty much just use a single ply top and bottom. Mm. Again, that's going to maximize maximize the sound. Uh, we work with Evans primarily uh, mm. it, for for no other reason than they're just a great company to deal with. They're local to me, mm. and uh, I get sh- heads pretty quickly. Um, and I get a lot of people. Most of my customers ask for Evans, so it's just a no brainer. Um, but again, I think they have. Uh, you know, we use a G one top. Or and G1 clear on the toms, G1 on the snare, 300 weight on the bottom. I like an EQ3 bass drum batter or an EMAD bass drum batter. I think their their heads, especially in bass drums, are, they excel. Um, mm. Other companies make really good drum heads too. I mean, and I've tried them all, and they all sound really good, but but with different results. Um, but again, I'm I'm going for I want somebody to get these drums, and when they pick them up or I ship them to them, and they start playing them, and they go, these sound amazing, and these are only G1s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can imagine what I could do if I tried some other things. And so that's just the starting point. To me, that's it. when you did the very first review on that bop kit, mm-hmm. uh, I, it arrived with clear G1s top and bottom because I wanted you to know that those drums would perform that well with just the very basic mm-hmm. drum head. And they did. Is there like a like a drum head shell combination that, that you know is just really sweet that you might recommend? Like, is there, a, is there a mahogany head choice that you would go with? Is there a walnut head choice that might not be your, you know, standard G1 or G2? Yeah, the G12's are great. Uh, even, you know, Remo makes their version called the Ambassador X. Mm-hmm. So these are 12 mil versions. And um, I, I've been using those with a lot of success too on some of these naughty shells, the, the drums with a lot of sound that are hard to control. Uh, G1 sometimes get a little floppy on the bottom and they mm. distort a little under heavy playing, but a G12 will help eliminate that. Now, it will give you sometimes more sustain up top, mm-hmm. so, but it's not a bad thing. They're also really durable. You get the durability of a two ply, uh, and you uh, the sound of a one ply in response, and they give a snare drum a lot of snot, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of pop. They just really crack, and it's a much different sound than a G1, because you can tune it tighter before it'll start to stretch. Mm-hmm. So that's another head uh, combo I like to use: either G1 over G1 or G12 over G12, G12 over G1. Um, they they all work great. And then, of course, the G2 clear up top. That's what's on this kit right now. G2 mm-hmm. clear over G1. 
Again, depends on what I want. But those are the standard. That's what they come with. Let's talk about um, snare drums. So if I called you and said, I want to buy three snare drums, I want you to build me three snare drums, and I want them to cover the widest range possible. Wow. What would be the three sizes and makes that you would suggest? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would, I would, one I would build you would be a Mach 1. Probably it's an eight ply maple. And you can, they're available in seven, eight, and nine inch depth. You can get them in 12, 18, and 24 ply. And see, when we make our shells, we layer them up little by little. We're not taking two 10 ply shells and smashing them together and, and glue them together to get a 20 ply or a 30 ply. Mm. We're taking each each ply. So when, you, believe it or not, these 24 ply shells, when I pick them up, I hold them, I tap test them, they have a sound, they resonate. It's mm. a higher pitch, but they resonate. And they play a huge role in the sound. That's extremely sensitive, ballsy, woody drum. You have one, I think. Um, it's it's a combo. It's a you have a, a what I would call special edition. It's a twelve ply maple poplar. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's got a little bit more vintage flavor with that poplar in the middle. But that drum smacks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a really good sound of drum. And so that would be one. The other would be oak. Uh, the oak six ply snare drum is extremely versatile. You can tune it up for jazz and you can tune it up for um, you know anything you uh-huh. know, it, it's, it's just got a really nice focused sound not too much sound very controllable um, it's 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 almost the perfect snare it's just in a wood snare drum uh-huh. um, and the other one I'm really liking is the ash ply, no re-rings um, it's also a really nice sound and drum again it's got this bite to it that the oak doesn't have Mm. So it's a drum that you can get much different sounds and tuning range out of it than the uh, than the oak. So and the, the Mach One, by the way, is 100% maple. So mm-hmm. that's a 100% maple premium drum. It comes in satin black or or satin natural finish. What would be the dimensions? So you said seven by 14 for the Mach One. Yeah, you, I would do a seven by 14, and in the uh, the oak drum, I would probably do a five and a half by 14, uh-huh. and then a six by 14 in the ash. There you go. And, and that half inch really makes a big difference. And, and most of it has to do with the feel. You know, but again, the tuning range, but the feel is also really... I like a deeper drum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not that it really matters anymore because I'm not out there gigging. But when I play, I want to be comfortable. And so when I play a 6.5 or 7 by 14 it has to strictly to do with the feel. Mm-hmm. Because I can tune that sucker up and get a pop out of it if I want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like a medium range. I, want some, I like a punchy snare drum. What was the first snare drum you ever built? It was maple. It was an eight ply maple. When I very, my first, 2005 is when I first started messing with drums, building mm-hmm. them. I had my cabinet business, I was doing that full time. And uh, I had started playing drums again after about eight years off, which is like, that was kind of typical for me. You know, I had a lot of things I wanted to learn. So I would break away from drumming and learn other things. and. Uh, and do that so I thought you know I started jamming again and after purchasing several drum kits uh, I I was just not satisfied with the amount of time I was spending and the sounds I was getting I'm like look you've had particular ideas your whole life why don't you see if you can achieve those on your own Mm -hmm. so I did what everybody does I bought some Keller shells these were the traditional maple Keller shells and I started making my own drums I made a kit and it was, I, I tried extremes. I did the 24 by 24 bass drum, a 14 by 14, and a 10 by 10, just because. 
I could, and I hadn't seen this before, you know, so I tried it. And I was really happy with it. I saw, And I know the guy that still owns that kit. Holy in smokes. Fact, <laughs> yeah, and, and so he added on to it uh, and made it this really awesome kit. And then years later, he bought another kit, uh, a Prime Series uh, Ash Omega kit. So anyway, uh, my and the first snare drum was, I'm, I'm pretty sure, was a mahogany exterior with a an eight-ply uh, maple shell with brass tube lugs. And it was just just a drum. Has there been a drum that you've built that you didn't want to give away? Every day. <laughs> no, really, every day. Uh, yeah, there's most of them. They're all, you know, they're all really good. I mean, I'm always knock on wood. I mean, it doesn't leave here until I know it's right. Hmm. So uh, sometimes I get special requests and I'm like, I'm not sure about it, but I'll do it. Uh, if I'm not, you know, it, if it goes against my better judgment, I talk them out of it. But if I'm I'm cool, I'm like, yeah, if you don't work, then I'll do it. And and sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. All the ash drums that go out of here blow me away. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's something I'm really excited about. Um, and again, it's just I'm, I'm excited about this shell process. It's it's um, a home run for me. It's it's really it's working, mm-hmm. and and I think that's what is important it has to work and it's consistent um yeah i've got a kit i'm working on now it's a big ash kit no pun intended uh (laughs) yeah 8 10 12 13 14 16 22 uh six ply ash so i do get the big kits i don't know why Hmm. but they're a lot of work you know and they have to be consistent with the finish and the glue ups and, and everything and they take up a lot of room (laughs) <laughs> but you know that's part of what I do um, you know and, and that's going to be a really exciting kit uh, we did a backline kit and I did that in Ash for a local company a big big backline company mm-hmm. it was a 10, 12, 14, 16, 22 and a 5 by 14 Ash snare really really great sounding kit I don't know that I've ever played a 100% Ash kit I don't know that I have I've played a lot of maple with Ash veneer that they say is Ash right <laughs> but you learn quickly that's not the case well, and there are a lot of companies out there that do this where they, they have an exotic veneer and then the shell's maple and they call it like a black, black limba snare. And I'm sorry, mm. no, it's a maple snare with black limba exterior. Yeah. It's a maple drum, you know, right. and, and, you know, you're paying $1,100, $1,200 for a drum like this. And they're beautiful drums. It's a great instrument, but you're not getting 100% exotic. If you order a, an exotic drum for me, you're going to get 100% exotic if that's what you want. Mm. Uh, I did that zebra wood kit a couple months ago. It had... The customer brought me the material. He bought this stuff. Bacote interiors, Bubinga core with a zebra wood uh, bird's eye exterior. Wild. What'd that sound like? It sounded amazing. <laughs> it really did. Bubinga's a beautiful wood. It, it makes for a really nice drum. Uh, and it, it was uh, different. Very different. Mm. Very tonal. You know, very melodic. You know, a lot of sound. All right, let's wrap it up. So, a reminder, 7x14, uh, what was the mock? Mach 1. Mach and one. I call it the Mach 1 because it sounds like it's breaking the sound barrier when you hit it. That's <laughs> so, why, man. They sound great. So that's your powerhouse. And yeah. then your more sensitive, jazzy sound would be the 5.5x14 Oak. Yep. And then what does the Ash do? If you do a 6x14 Ash, that fills in what gap? It, it, it gets really fat, but it also has a bite to it the Oak doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's an upper register note. You know, there it's you got go. like a crack to it. 
And not that Dayok won't do that, but it's just different. Mm-hmm. It's a harder wood. All right. There you have it. Thank you so much for all the... I mean, we got right into it, so... <laughs> uh, all right, man. No, nah, it's a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. So, uh, I'll talk to you soon. You got it, dude. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please drop a review over on iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. That really does help us spread the word. We want this show to be heard by every drummer possible. So, please, if you don't mind, give us a five-star rating, drop a review. be much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, have a good week. We'll see you next week, same time. See ya.